Hi, I'm Dr. Pajari for the Prognosis Podcast, and we are here today for uh, an episode to wrap up Season 1 um, entitled The Hospice Experience. I have the Hilton family with me today, um, and I'm going to go just around and introduce. Um, the First and foremost, I have Kathy Hilton here today, a corporate lawyer, um, and here to speak uh, about her own experiences dealing with hospice for her husband. Welcome. Thank you. I have Sheena Hilton, a soon-to-be lawyer at Stanford, um, here also to speak about the experiences that she encountered uh, for her dad with hospice. Welcome. Thank you. And I have Sean, who is an actuary, and he's also here to speak about his experiences um, with his dad on hospice. Welcome. Thank you. Um, so just getting started with the conversation, um, and I know this is going to be delving into a lot of, you know, difficult but um, really important and poignant things about the hospice experience. Tell me first and foremost um, who Larry, your husband, was, who he was as a person, as an individual. Um, just give a kind of an idea. Wow, that's it's a lot. A <laughs> it's, lot. A, it's a lot of it's, it's a lot. Uh, we were married for almost thirty-seven years, mm-hmm. uh, so um, and he was um, very uh, decisive, uh, very uh, he was very active. Enjoyed his passions were golf and gardening. Um, he liked to be, you know, very uh, social. You know, he knew everybody in the neighborhood. Uh, he was also, um, he was a teacher. Um, he's a speech, speech pathologist. Mm-hmm. And so he uh, was, uh, it was also very interesting to, to meet some of the kids that, that he interacted with to, to see their reaction uh, to him. Uh, but uh, in addition, of course, uh, you know, he was a husband uh, and a, he was a great father. Uh, so he uh, just had a lot of passion for family uh, that was really, really important to him and um, just was uh, so supportive of um, uh, not only me, but also um, our children. Mm-hmm. Um, Sheena, tell me what your impressions of your dad were, you know, who he was or who he is in your mind as a person. Um, he was definitely a doer. Uh, as my mom was saying, he actually, in his earlier years, he wrote some poetry, and there's one about um, doers and talkers, and he definitely uh, put a premium on being a doer over a talker. <laughs> so, um, But like she was saying, he was a great dad. I mean, he would, uh, very, very supportive the uh, first thing that came to my mind when she said that was once I sent them a picture, this silly picture, I was wearing a blonde wig, and it was just a joke. And But he thought it was real that I had changed my hair, and so my mom was horrified, and he said, don't be mad at Sheena, that looks great. You need to really support her. That's what she wants to do. Um, so, yes, he's just <laughs> very caring, um, very supportive, and and tried to he you know education was important sports he loved his sports and tried to get us all to play golf i think sean and my mom were more successful <laughs> at that than i was um but yeah he was an all-around great dad 
That's beautiful. He sounds he sounds like just a really lovely person. Sean, what were your memories or impressions or what do you have in your mind when you think of your dad? Yeah, I guess uh, what comes immediately to mind is that he um, put his heart into everything that he did. I don't think there was anything that he did that was uh, half-hearted or um, you know medium effort in any respect. It was if he was doing something, it was going to be with all of his uh, you know mo- motivation and effort. Um, it, you know, as a dad, as a golfer, um, a card player. Um, <laughs> A driver on the roads. Yeah. He's always speeding. Well, anyway, um, yeah, he he just put a lot of um, a lot of effort into everything that he did, and uh, yeah, it showed in in the life that he lived. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, it's interesting what you said about writing poetry or being a speech pathologist mm-hmm. and working with people who had difficulties because that's a tender side, you know, to someone. So. Was there that tenderness also, that softer side, or? Yeah, for sure. I, I would say, he didn't express that as much verbally as he he, he definitely showed it. Um, you know, um, not non-verbally, um, and that that was something that we, well, that I remarked uh, seeing towards the end of his life too. The kind of whatever barrier that might have existed in terms of expressing himself emoting um some of those softer emotions definitely that barrier was not there towards the end and it was kind of beautiful to be able to see you know him um have that full range of expression at least as i saw it so yeah and i think my uh his granddaughter our niece uh really brought that out of i mean he was most definitely a doting grandfather and when rock her to sleep and did it so mm-hmm. we definitely saw um her name is lydia when lydia was born we definitely saw his softer side for sure mm-hmm. that uh, the, the grandkids bring it out <laughs> <laughs> but it was also interesting he did have <clears throat> he had this soft side to him when um like he would literally give somebody the shirt off his back so like if somebody liked something that he had like he'd say here you can have it and it was like always so um he just that was he was just very generous and and uh that was it was very touching to see that so you know he loved golf and if somebody said they wanted to play golf he'd say oh i'll be there to help you um you know i'll teach you um you know he was he mowed people's grass or washed your car. Like he was, he just really had that, that really giving side. Mm-hmm. Uh, a very, very kind gen- spirit. Yeah, very, yeah. very kind. Well, the, the difficult thing and the reason we're here today is to talk about that trajectory of such a wonderful person and then what happened afterwards, which is a very common, complacent thing, but at the same time, a very individual process for each of us. Um, so tell me about when he first was diagnosed so he was given a diagnosis tell me about that well um i always remember it was uh, june of uh, 2017 and um he you know just the weekend before it was uh, june 5th i I think was the date it was a, a monday but the weekend before it was just something seemed off you know in terms of like being forgetfulness uh, forgetful, you know, his, you know, he just couldn't, he couldn't remember like the code, the alarm to get in the house. It was just, um, 
is very disconcerting. And then uh, that Monday, you know, when I came home from work, he was saying that, you know, when he was at the doctor's office, they couldn't, he couldn't remember like his like name and like address. And so um, we, I was concerned and we said, I thought I didn't know, you know, what was happening. If it were possibly a stroke, I, I just had no idea. And we decided to go over to the emergency room and uh, so, you know, we told them, you know, what was going on. And uh, they, based upon that, they did a CAT scan. And the doctor came in and said that there was a mass in his, in his brain. And so um, they didn't know, obviously, they didn't know the diagnosis at that time. Uh, but he was hospitalized. And we uh, uh, quickly learned that it was glioblastoma. Uh, which is a terminal uh, cancer. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was all like in a week time just to kind of have your world turned um, upside, upside down. down. Yeah. Well. What, uh, well, a few questions come to mind, but uh, what was his initial reaction to that? Um, I think it was really very hard for him to accept. Um, you know, he seemed to kind of like not kind of, you know, it was like, well, do you see it? Do you, and, uh, so he didn't, he just didn't think he, he just didn't know. It was such a shock, uh, to him. He felt like he took very good care of himself and he was very, um, active and just, um, so it was, it was really, I think, just a, a hard thing. And he did not like to be, you know, being hospitalized, being not being able to get about and do the things that he liked to do. I think it was just, it was hard for him to, to, um, to kind of face that, mm -hmm. that he was, he was in that position. You know, you just uh, reminded me of something uh, that's actually probably a pretty big point. I just wanted to mention it is the, the idea that, you know, sometimes when we're in shock from these things, we think, oh, well, I took good care of myself. I was always healthy. I right. didn't smoke or I didn't do this. It's almost like an affront. Yes. And you say, well, how could you do this to me, God, yeah. when I really committed to taking care of myself? Do you feel like there was a little bit of that there or maybe not? Um, I think he was, he did feel, I think he did feel somewhat betrayed in the fact that he had taken like uh, good care of himself that he, you know, um, he couldn't understand, you know, how from that perspective. Mm -hmm. um, but he was also, you know, kind of like what Sean said, he would get very introspective. So it would be very, very difficult uh, for him to verbalize. So mm -hmm. he would, um, it was, it was definitely a challenge and it impacted his speech um, and, and so the, the tumor was in a place that impacted his speech. And that was very, very difficult because he was a speech pathologist. Mm -hmm. He spoke for a living, you know, he was, he was a poet. Mm -hmm. um, he was a big talker. That was huge. Like, you know, if he was doing the family prayer or something, he would go on and, you know, he was, <laughs> he was very verbose. Yeah. So it was very difficult when he was having trouble because it, it impacted his memory um, he would have the words, but it was hard for him to articulate things. Yeah, and you know, sometimes, uh, uh, not to digress, but sometimes what you just uh, brought up was pretty powerful because we get illnesses, but it's not 
you have to step away or one has to step away from the concept that it's a punishment or, you know, you're receiving something and you ask, why am I receiving this? Um, and that can be very difficult to process. And on top of that, it can have meanings. As you said, he's a speech, he, a speech pathologist. Yes, right. To lose the very thing that he was so aware of and yeah. such, such a, he was so instrumental in guiding others on how to speak. And then to lose that, I think it's so poignant and painful. Yes. So I can imagine that that was very yes. tough. He was in the hospital and probably mm. struggling. And I can imagine also cognitively trying to process this when you already are not thinking clearly, but trying to kind of wrap your head around it is tough. Um, what happened then? So walk me through a little bit of the initial stage. He probably had surgery. He actually decided, well, along with the doctor, uh, so his initial doctor was uncomfortable operating on the tumor, mm -hmm. which is normally the treatment. Uh, they would try to uh, remove it. Uh, but because of its location, uh, she was very concerned that uh, she said that she had seen patients, the surgery, go, go badly, mm -hmm. where they, they would just totally lose their ability to communicate. Uh, so um, she decided that she uh, was, she and he agreed that he didn't want to have this, the surgery. Mm -hmm. So um, we did, um, interestingly enough, uh, Sean and I were going to take him down to, to see you know, a specialist that they could remove it. And he decided we went down there, but he refused to go in. So we were um, in the, the mode where he was going to get radiation. And um, that that was how uh, they just decided to try to shrink the tumor. Um, and there were challenges uh, because uh, just because of the medication, the, the various medications that were the side effects from that. Um, uh, he became diabetic, and uh, so we were, you know, dealing with that. And that's correct. Uh, I remember with the dexamethasone. Yes. So, so yeah, he and had it issues. progressed mm -hmm. um, um, significantly. Mm -hmm. And even the steroids that uh, that they, he was on, mm -hmm. they caused. Uh, he was having really uh, strong, you know, reactions uh, to them. So they were trying to taper him off mm -hmm. uh, for whatever reason. The um, steroids just had a, a really a tough. Uh, they were really tough on him. Mm -hmm. So, and he was, uh, you can imagine this doer that we talked about. So he's not, he's not supposed to do anything. So the challenge was immediately when he came home from the hospital, you know, he's outside in the yard, you know, with power tools and, you know, I'm horrified, you know, that <laughs> his thing was, you know, to push his body, you know, probably when he, he should not have, but that was how, that's what he did for it. That's a, long a common time. one too, I mm -hmm. think, where um oh it's common. Mm -hmm. Where you want to just move forward as you always have. Right. And there are limitations and mm -hmm. really struggling to accept it or being forced to accept it. I think right. that's pretty tough. Yes. Did you have mm -hmm. uh what other things happened during that time? So he came home. Well, how was he doing at that period in time at, at, at that point? It was a tough, uh, Sheena was there that uh, because it was in the summer. Mm -hmm. um, so we were trying to get adjusted to what this new normal was going to be, mm -hmm. going to his appointments. So she actually took him uh, to his radiation appointments. Mm -hmm. I eventually went back to work and it was just trying to, 
kind of get things stabilized, mm -hmm. uh, how we were going to be moving forward. Mm -hmm. And he had only been given about six months to live. They didn't expect him to live uh, until the end of the year. Mm -hmm. So we didn't we didn't know mm -hmm. like uh, what what uh, kind of like what we were planning mm -hmm. for what we were facing. So it was trying to it was it was really a very confusing time and just trying to get things stabilized. Um, uh, we considered bringing in someone to the home to help him, and he absolutely <laughs> rejected that. Mm -hmm. I mean, he uh, he just no no yeah. Uh, <laughs> So it was a challenge. She, fortunately, Sheena was able to stay uh, until August. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he wanted to, he said he would take care of himself, which he did, mm -hmm. and eventually started to drive and play golf. So it did, things did improve. Um, they stabilized yeah, they, out a little they, bit right, they with the it treatment and the regimen right. he was on. Sheena, you were going to say something just then about that period of time, and I wouldn't mind hearing also what Sean thought, but... Yeah, what how, what were your impressions at that time for your dad? So that summer was very um, just focused on medical care. I mean, we went five days a week to his radiation treatment, and sometimes he would have an additional appointment after that. So once I had gotten home um, from work, since I was a teacher, it's had the summers off, uh, we were going to the radiation place every day, and we were kind of a rough-looking pair because I had torn my meniscus <laughs> at the end of May. So I had a huge leg race on my leg and probably shouldn't have been driving, but, the <laughs> but he couldn't drive. Um, so we would show up at the place, and I would have my crutches and the brace, <laughs> and he was not looking so great either. The people were really nice, and <laughs> I think they probably felt bad for us. Um, but I think he probably rallied because like my mom said he did not want to have somebody in the house and so um the summer it really was challenging with the radiation and then all the, he couldn't do his um uh check his blood sugar himself so he had to have his blood sugar checked three times a day so one of us would have to do that uh but by the time I needed to go back to school, he was able to be self-sufficient <laughs> enough so that he didn't have to have anybody um, in the in the house with him during the day. And then it, it really was, he was, you know, he had some ups and downs over the ensuing, you know, three and a half years or so. Uh, but it, to me, that first summer was the worst time. Uh, Outside of once he entered home hospice, so January, then you know, then his functioning started to decline. Mm -hmm. But that first summer, that was when his health was um, the most challenging, and also his recall um, and mental functioning. You know, I I'll never forget we were I was taking him to a cardiologist appointment, and I saw he had the pad of paper there, and he was studying it on the way. And so I looked. Oh, I was driving, but. So, like, we're at a red light. So I look over, and it's his name and address and birthday, and he was trying to make sure he could remember it so that he could sign himself in mm -hmm. at the doctor's office so I didn't have to do it for him. Oh, wow, that's very, uh, that's very touching to hear yeah. that he was doing that. Yeah, 
So, okay, the first, uh, that summer, right after the diagnosis was really rough and things stabilized. Sean, what were your impressions of that time? Um, yeah, I remember just getting used to what his capacities were uh, after, um, you know, learning the diagnosis, getting a sense of what his um you know, speech capabilities and, and ability to, to read those types of things. Um, but then once we kind of had that understanding, um, yeah, it did feel like a, a, a new normal. Um, I, I didn't live in the area. I only, um, you know, uh, came down here um, more permanently uh, this January. So most of my experiences were um, from long distance. And um, yeah, I, I over the course of that three and a half years, um, I think it just kind of weighed on him. Um, my, my experience of, of his disease was like how much it weighed on him speaking. Um, how many times he, he would like apologize for mm. his inability to, to recall. It, it definitely um, showed, but he, 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 he always gave the effort to, you know, to um, push past those difficulties in speaking and, um, yeah, that was that was, and we tried to give him as much as uh, encouragement. Um, you know that it wasn't an issue. That it was just good to you know um, for him to express himself how he could. You know what you were saying about his character.